It's not easy being the one everyone counts on to keep your operation running, no matter the weather or supply chain hiccup. But we get you, Raymond in Buffalo, Maria in Miami, and Jules and Troy, taking control of everything that's under your control. At Granger, we're here for you with high-quality supplies for every industry, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Rocks Back Pages podcast and a very happy new year to all those listening to the first episode of 2022. I'm Barney Hoskins and I'm here with Mark Pringle. Hi Barney. And Jasper Mewison Bowie. Hello Barney. And joining us today is the one and only Pete Wingfield. Welcome Pete. Thank you very much, Barney. Hello. <laughs> well, hello, Mark, and hello, Jasper. It's great to be here. Good. Good. So, welcome to Hammersmith. <laughs> no sleep till Hammersmith. Yeah. We're going to talk in this episode about your career as musician and producer, but let's start with Soul Beat, ah. the fanzine you launched in, well, what year was it? Can you remember? Well, I think it was early 64. I think. Okay. Yeah, but, which, but strangely, which... it, none of the issues have dates on them. So, <laughs> That's the mark a, of a great fancy. Uh, it's a mark no, of I... like, not thinking it was going to matter. Yeah. Which school? Which, <laughs> which school, it doesn't. Actually. Which school? Which school were you at at the time? It was a very august establishment, Wellington College. Absolutely. In, in um, Berkshire. Yeah. Marvelous. How many soul fans were there? A uh, very few. <laughs> I, but uh, you know, I, I, there, was, there was a few blues fans and stuff, and you know. But uh, no, it was it was a, it was a kind of I was under the radar there. I did all, I did manage to organise a trip to see James Brown at uh, Walthamstow Granada under oh. the auspices of the Jazz Club or the Jazz Appreciation. <laughs> you know what, what he had to do with jazz absolutely zero. But um, yeah, that, that was that was quite something. Yeah. So that is absolutely brilliant. So with the blessing, yeah, with the, the blessing, master, in turn time, and the yeah. funding as a sort of cultural, as a sort of cultural expedition. <laughs> I think Nick Brown was at that show. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was. Yeah, he was. He, um, I, 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 he we wouldn't have been in same. that party. I didn't from no, no, he wouldn't. I know. I because didn't. Because he took sure over Salt Beat, didn't you? He did. You, you bequeathed. He did. Salt Beat he did. He me. did. And I, I, I don't. He, he maybe correct me on this, but I don't think we've ever ever actually met. Wow. Uh, it, because you know, in those days, it's hard to imagine, but. Uh, Things were so different in terms of communication. Everything was by letter. Yeah. You didn't phone. You didn't. Well, most people maybe lived at home. You wouldn't use the phone at home. No. You know, there was no question of people. Especially if your father put a lock on the phone. <laughs> what, you know, no, no question. <laughs> so it was all by letter. So everything was very, very slow. Yeah, yeah. And, and quite formal. Really. Very well, quite formal. Except <laughs> well, you just sort of scrawled a letter and opened the bed. But but uh, yeah. So you know, there's no. It was the opposite. I, I don't want to come through, come over to sort of. Monty Python-esque, you know, in, in my day. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I used to beg to be dragged across the road. Or whatever. But, um, you know, there was no instant gratification like there is now, basically. Right. You know, and also the pursuit of knowledge was a lot, you know, you had to be patient and very kind of dedicated in finding out about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, once you had the bit between your teeth, you know. Actually, and, what, uh, what were the sources of information for you as a young soul yeah. R&B fan? Well, Radio Luxembourg. Yeah. You know, which the great Norman Jopling mentioned when you had him on. Although he didn't mention that, crucially, on Radio Luxembourg, you never heard the whole record. 
Really? Well, because the uh, all the shows were, were sponsored by record companies, right? Right. So the, the idea was not to just entertain you, but to make you buy the record. <laughs> so they would have, in a 30-minute show, say EMI or Decca, there would be 20 records. Right. So, um, but, you know... A minute. This is particularly, <laughs> particularly bad news for... For instrumentalists, sure, because uh, budding sax players in particular, because the moment they got to the solo, they yeah. come down, <laughs> and off we will go with another record, you know. So you know, you'd be listening to Little Richard. Just as Lee Allen stepped up to the mic. It was all over. <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone would start writing songs accordingly. So you get the best chorus. Yeah, the right, best yeah, 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 yeah. Straight up yeah. front. I mean, you try telling Americans this. You know, <laughs> they, they, they had they had everything on the plate, and consequently they didn't bother. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had, to listen to black music, all they had to do is just tune up the end of the AM dial. But uh, you know, we didn't know we didn't have that. Absolutely. Uh, that was why when the pirates came in, it was such a massive yeah. thing. Sure, know? sure. And yeah. I, and being born in '48, the 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 pirate era, the, the, which I still think of as a sort of golden age of music, really, was well, Easter, when did Caroline, Easter Sunday 64, it'd be March 64 to August 14th, infamous date, 1967, when the Marine Offences Bill came in. That was the pirate era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was when I was 16 to 19, which was like the most impressionable Fantastic. time. So I was, you know, and, and the, they really, they really fostered, uh, fostered the, the you know, independent soul. There were lots of records in the charts that were purely as a result of of pirate play, yeah. you know, like mm. shotgun wedding, all some millions of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that opened things up tr- tremendously. But that, you know, that was basically it. And kind of, I mean, how how I, looking back at it, this soul beat thing, I just knew nothing really. I was just sixteen year old with with a sort of with a cause, if you like. And uh, <laughs> perhaps I knew sort of a tiny bit more than others. And uh, and capitalised on that by but why anybody would want to pay for my for, for what I had to say yes. <laughs> it was, it was just unbelievable and again that was so the process of it going back to Solbit itself was so kind of painstaking it was all postal orders yeah know? yeah mm. you know I advertised in Record Mirror which was the bible at the right. time for, well, particularly once Norman started working for it for mainstream information about R and B and soul. So I have a small ad in, in Record Mirror. That's the only way I, I, I did it. Was and I ended, up, one. ended up with a massive readership. I think I reached a hundred at one point. Well for um, a home built thing that's pretty pretty amazing. I think I even sold a couple well. uh, you know for Australia or whatever as far as I remember. I wish I had the readership list. That would be great. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, because probably those hundred people went on. To do a good, a good, important uh, quite a few of them did, Barney. Actually, mm. I mean, I do remember that. Well, at least to run other fanzines, but and also to, to enter the music business. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I mean, there were, I remember um, Tony Cummings was a was, yeah. a was a reader. Dave McAleer, who yeah. uh, went on to record business. John Philibert and Mick Brown himself, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. In terms few. of your career as a writer, how did you get from Soul Beat to Let It Rock, which is where I first read you? I read you long before 18 with a bullet was a smash. Yeah, sure. I simply don't know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really know. The missing years. Well, the missing years, yeah, missing years were, just, yeah. were, in, were you know, at university. And, yes. And uh, I went to Sussex in Sussex University. And uh, had, a, had a band at Sussex, Jellybread, Blues Brand, who signed with yes, Mike Vernon. Mike, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Mike being, you know, sort of what goes around comes around. Mike, at the time of Soul Beat, just going back to that for a minute, Mike's. R&B and Monthly run from his house, his parents' house at 3B Godston Road, Kenley, sorry, which I remember so well. <laughs> Love all these addresses. <laughs> I mean, it was a pretty small pond altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was the biggest fish in the pond, him and Richard, 
Vernon, and I was like a, a, the smallest of the minnows, really. You know. um, and that, you know, but uh, anyway, so I ended up as just as sort of uh, justice might have it, you know, or whatever. Signing with uh, we, we signed with Mike's yeah yeah Blue Horizon. Horizon yeah yeah yeah. And just as uh, also with, with Soulbeat, the only I mean the main I have to come clean about this. I maybe come across too sort of. Um, too much of a noble endeavour. You know, the, the the main reason for me doing it, main motive, was to score free records. Yeah. That's what it was all about, really. Because, you know, I didn't have the money to buy records. And, so um, much for 16 with the cause. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> well, the cause was... That's the yeah, cause. Yeah, that was the cause. It did start life at 16 with all of it. I come, come on to that. Um, uh, yeah, you know, and uh, the, only, the only record company that... I didn't... I had singular lack of success in this. But the only record company that did semi-regularly records was uh, was Ireland, the Sioux label run by Ireland. Yeah. Again, yeah. 108 Cambridge Road, NW6. <laughs> 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 yeah. So I've got, when did you start playing a soft? I'm assuming you were studying... I mean, were, did you have formal training as a keyboard player? I did. Uh, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, a little bit. A little bit of music lessons and stuff. And um, I had a band at school. Right. We had... It was a sort of book of tea type thing. Right. Phantom, you know, sort of semi-instrumental, and we called us. Well, we had various names actually. We were the Shoal at one point, uh, <laughs> we as were, in the Muscle uh, Shoal. Time, <laughs> I, I, I hesitate to tell you another name we had because it sounds, which it wasn't my idea, but it was Peach Disciples. That was for about a year, <laughs> but it ended up for more. But but we ended up as with slightly different lineup as the Naz. Right, um, not, but not the but Naz, not, but not the Ton Rudgren yeah, Naz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it from the same. Sp- same source, which was Lord Buckley, right? Yes. Uh, in his thing, you know, yeah, yeah. his shtick. But uh, yeah, we were called no. the, we were called the Naz, and, and we had we actually we know we made some demos and that and sort of stuff. Is it true that remind me because you told me many years Pete and I worked together million years th- over thirty years? Yeah, ago, yeah. Forgive for terrifying casual listeners. Forgive the conversational shorthand. I remember you mentioning that was it. Between school and university, where you went to America, I did. Yeah, do you want me to go into yes, all that? Tell I will. Us, tell us the story. But I'll get on a roll. So I'm good. warning you. You might have to get the scissors, the, uh, the digital scissors, out for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there was a thing around called the British University's North American Club, BUNAC, and uh, obviously America was the thing at, at that time. You know, particularly in music, I mean, you know, everything American yes. was bigger, better. Yeah. My one wish was to go to the States, yes. you know, where everything I liked came from. Yeah, yeah. You know. And, you know, so people are much more discerning nowadays and, and it's less clear cut. But at that time, that was how one felt. And um, Bunak, if you had a place at university and you could, you could get a discounted, uh, you could get a visa to work yeah. and a discounted uh, travel and all that, you know. So I went in for this, got it. And, uh, Part of the deal was you went over by ship. Uh, all students on a ship, can you imagine? From every country. Uh, wow. Sort of bacchanalia on <laughs> And this was, uh, yeah, I can something. tell you exactly what it was, because when we got there, all the Israelis students had to go right back to Israel because it was... The war the, had broken Because war had broken out. Right. Yeah. Blimey. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. So I got there. I, got a jo- I had a job ready for me in, in the Catskills, Sort of dog's body in a hotel in the Catskills, which which taught me a lot, which I probably won't go into now. <laughs> got nothing to do with music, but um, yeah, I was on the ship. Great, you know, coming into this is the moment which I will share with the world uh, <laughs> because you know it, it, I don't. I'll, this will never. I'll never forget this moment. And uh, you know, I had my little cr- little transistor radio with me, you know, and uh, coming into New York Harbor about six thirty or seven in the morning, mm. sunrise. 
came up on deck, you know, sort of bleary-eyed, turned on, and there's a Statue of Liberty and the sun's coming up, and uh, turned on my radio and tuned, and there was, and I found WLIB. And it was Eddie OJ's Soul at Sunrise. <laughs> and he was playing this great stuff. I thought, ah, I'm yes. here. <laughs> <laughs> this is what, this yeah. is what, I, you know what I mean? Uh, that is like uh, something not, from the film. So that. that was great, you know. The other thing I didn't say was before, you could only do this in the UK. Or outside of the US, you could buy a Greyhound ticket for 99 days unlimited travel for $99. Fantastic. And I think I must have done about, I mean, I, I went all over the States. I was like, yeah. why wouldn't uh, I? I did, I did, I, I, I can't believe it. You know, I saw James Brown at the Apollo, I saw BB King at the Regal, I saw the Temptations and the Intruders and millions yeah. of other people in the uptown of Philadelphia. I saw, um, what was the bill? I think it was Steve Miller Band, Vanilla Fudge, and Chuck Berry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in that order. Uh, on the, uh, the Fillmore. Right. Everything besides, you know, cowboys in Wyoming and whatever. Didn't and you I went round and round. I mean, I went round and And they had, yeah, this is, yeah, I remember this now. They, the, the ticket was like a checkbook with, you know, with, with like yes. counterfoils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you remember such a thing. And, you know, you t- so it was 99 days from embarking. So I only had like six weeks. Right. Or something, you know. I'd been around everywhere, and I'd run out of time on the bus because I, I was sleeping on a park bench underneath the Washington Monument. We <laughs> 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 got woken up about six in the morning by this cop, you know, with his gun and everything. So, and I thought, well, oh, yeah, things can only get better from here. But and then, I, and then I, so I thought, well, one place I haven't been is Memphis. Mm-hmm. Washington DC, right? It's just down the road. Yeah, yeah. American style. <laughs> yeah. I just on a, on a whim, you know. I went to Greyhound Station, Washington, and I had the had the checkbook open, so they didn't see the date on the front. You know, just to, just to, just yeah, to yeah, counterfeit. Yeah, yeah. And I got on the bus, and they let me on. So so I, so I got to Memphis, right? Immediately made a made a made a, a beeline for. 926 East Macklemore Avenue. Right. <laughs> the many addresses you've memorised, but I think it's not that important. So, very important. exotic. Very kind of important. This really, is important yes. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, and um, got there, uh, you know, very scuzzy neighbourhood, obviously ex-cinema, ex, ex-cinema building. There's a guy leaning against the doorway. Of the, there's a, as I'm sure you know, the satellite record shop yeah. was, was part of it. Yeah. And there's a guy leaning against the doorway there with a trumpet. And I recognise it's, it's Wayne. Of course, it's Wayne Jackson. Right, it's Wayne Bishorns, you know. And they'd just been, they'd just been to the, Europe. They just the British tour yeah. had been that Easter, I guess, sixty seven. Right, right. They'd have been popular beyond their wildest dreams. They had no idea that anybody even knew who they were. All the stacks people. So they were incredibly well, um, you know, had a great, great sort of sympathy, uh, great feeling for. Europeans in general, and particularly Brits. Yeah. So the moment he heard my voice, he said, "Come on in, man. Make <laughs> us, you know." So there I was. I was in stacks, and he, and, he, uh, uh, and this is absolutely sort of like with no planning at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, with, yeah. Well, you didn't plan in those days. Sure. You just went with it. Mm. And so I went in. There's a studio. There's a session going on for Dorothy Moore. No, it wouldn't have been no, no. Anymore. It was a, it was a very minor act on stacks. But I don't think the track ever came out. Mm-hmm. Dorothy, somewhere, I can't remember. Um, various Barkays knocking around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaac Hayes is in there. Uh-huh. This is no word of a lie, guys. This is true. <laughs> I, I know. It sounds, you know, it sounds like sort of 
I made it up, but it, it really is true. Wayne sort of shows me through, and I'm, you know, through the studio, and I'm sort of fiddling about on the Hammond as we go, and all this like, as a joke, and um, uh, into the control room, which is like the projection room of this, of the cinema, yeah, yeah, you know, quite small, and in there are Steve Cropper, obviously, mm-hmm. Otis Redding, mm-hmm. Eddie Floyd, right, and sort of Steve Cropper's running it, you know. Wayne said, "This guy, this guy's from London, England." Oh, great, come on in. Have a listen to this, says Steve. <laughs> so, so he puts on this uh, acetate thing, you know. Which he said, we, we just cut this last night. And, and he wrote this, he, he put it on. It was, um, it was Eddie Floyd's Saturday Night, which has got that boom, like a half-beat, sort of semi-half-beat groove, which is great. Al Jackson, who's what a great drummer. Well, I'm looking for my And he plays and he says, well, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, it's great. You know, <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's all right. I said, I was, I'm not sure about the middle eight. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, just, I said, yeah, it's great. You know, it's great. And he said, well, it's great. Well, I'm glad you like it. I'm sure it'll be hitting all that. So, you know, so I ended, I ended up just talking to them all and um, walked out about, I guess, a couple of hours later with a, with a pile of forty fives, courtesy of Dini Ketron, wow. whatever her name was, in the office, you know. Wow. And um, I just, I wouldn't say I've dined out on that ever, ever since, but I mean, it's definitely a highlight of my life. It's just fantastic. Story. It's just incredible. On a We have to talk about your session. Yeah, man. Um, I, I just wanted to say that among the pieces that were featured on the homepage is this interview that John Tobler did with you. Oh, yeah. For Zigzag, I'm guessing it must have talked to you in sort of late 75, on the back of... On the back of Beethoven Bullet, yeah. Mm-hmm. Breakfast yeah, Special. Yeah. But you say about sessions, I am not a session man. I'm not Clem Cattini. My no. reading's not good enough for one thing. Yeah. I'm a desperate bluffer. Yeah. And you say it. And then, and then he said, what have I been on recently? Well, both Mac and Katie Kassoon hits, Al Stewart's album, a couple of tracks on the Mud album that's just come out. I'm slapping the ivories on Tallahassee Lassie and Let's Have a Party. Am I really? I didn't remember I that. love that. I love that. <laughs> so, I mean, that, was your, that really was your life. In, in, in parallel with yeah, writing, was, yeah. You, yeah. You, were, you were playing sessions all yeah, the time. Yes, so, I mean, it was largely down in the first place to Mike Vernon who was his sessions I played on and then it sort of went to other other ones you know I've got a lot to thank Mike for and Charlie Gillett in Ch- and Richard Williams yeah of course in Chipping Norton so I mean I always get, get this reading that interview with you and also something that, well, that Tony that Cummings much, yeah, wrote right. and interviewed you uh-huh. for about Blue Eyed Soul did he did you slightly get this sense that this that Mike Vernon set up in Chipping Norton yeah. was almost like an attempt to do a kind of muscle show it was indeed and, and, the, the, and the Olympic <laughs> runners and the Olympic runners that was the idea well it didn't come out of that but no because we, we, we got together in London, but but at the, uh, at but Olympic, it, at the Olympic, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, just for one session. But I think it was um, Jimmy Dawkins, and then the, the lineup changed a bit, and we ended up doing all our albums at Trivi Norton. Did five albums of them or something, um, and we never just just jamming, you know, yeah. no preparation, <laughs> studio, walk yeah. out, week later with an album. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Trivi Norton, it was it, that was Mike Mike and Richard's place. Actually, Richard ran it when, when Mike went to more independent production. I'd been working at their record shop in uh, Camden. Blue Horizon Records on Parkway, and they sold that and bought the studio. 
Oh, right. And Mike sort of went off to uh, be more of an independent producer and Richard ran the studio. Right. But Mike would bring stuff there, you yeah. know, and I would end up... I must have played on about 25, 30 albums there, yeah. I think, you know. Including, wow. including your own album. Including my own Which album. we were listening to yesterday. And Love it. Can I just say... Chibi Norton. Just, just, yeah, just yeah, to finish sorry, up Chibi okay. Norton. Um, <laughs> it, it, You're going to tell me David so Cameron came by. No, no. Uh, this is, uh, first of all, just to say, this is years, decades before the Chibi Norton set. You, know, <laughs> you weren't the but, founder but of it the Chibi so, Norton set. But it was so low-key that even no less a, an authority than Stuart McConey, when he wrote... He wrote a book called In Search of Middle England. Yeah. And um, one of the chapters about Chipping Dawn never mentioned the studio. No. Didn't even know about it. Probably didn't even know about it. No. No, there you go. So you, we listened to Breakfast Special yesterday. And mm-hmm. Oh dear, I'm sorry. Well, no, pleasantly, pleasantly well, just, it, surprised it, 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 to find that it sounds very good. It really, really does. I mean, well, bless you. That's I, not that down to me. It's really Barry, the engineer Barry Hammond, who. Yeah, but he didn't write the songs. You wrote the songs. It's yeah, the yeah. great songs and on the arrangements there. and everything like that. It's terrific. That is, I can't. I, yeah, that's all. I mean, I take the blame or praise, whatever, because it was all me. That all the voices. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a bit where you say. I mean, you literally played everything, and then the, and then it says and made the tea. This is right. There wasn't a tape up in that session in that studio. It was just Mark, just Barry. Yeah, I love yeah. your soul falsetto. It's just great. It's really great. I'm afraid I can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> go on, I've go on, no, you can. I've got no problem with it. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. I can't do it. with a bullet. Got my finger on the trigger. I'm going to put it. I picked a clip now. I'm the son of a gun. I saw you playing Van Morrison at Nebworth in 74. Did you and really? I already knew of your name then. I don't know why I'd no, I didn't necessarily know of your name. Because when he introduced, yeah, yeah. it was like, ah, Pete Winfield. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, so what, well, how how was that the case? I don't know. I, well, it's small print. I mean, it's, it's probably just small print on yeah. records, you know, which doesn't exist anymore. I, no, I, Nobody I, knows who plays on anything. Nobody knows where anything was made. Nobody knows what label anything's on. You know, right. Nobody knows but, anything about anything. But then, so when 80 Million Bullet came out, I absolutely loved it. I'm yeah. Martin Collier, our mutual yeah, friend, yeah, sure Martin. Yeah. And I, at art school at the time, just adoring this record. Yeah. It was just good. Martin used to do quite a good impersonation of Pete's falsetto. Oh. Well, perhaps we could get Martin get to come over and do falsetto it. Off. Yeah, exactly. Let's recreate Probably do it better than I can now. Yeah. 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 was, um, I re- originally written it with a, because I was signed as a writer to Island right. Music before, yeah, yeah. before I signed as a, as a, a performer. As a performer yeah. under Richard Williams as the A&R man at Island at the time. Mm-hmm. And Bullet was kind of that that chord sequence. It, it was it, it was a sort of in the genre, right? But with sort of wacko lyrics about about billboards, yes. really, you know. Because yeah. I always used to, I love the American trades. Yeah, I love yeah. I loved the jargon, yeah. all of that. And uh, you know, I used to. I don't know if you remember this, but um, used to you used to be. I mean, billboard was expensive to buy really. as an individual. You didn't really. Right. It was meant for record companies, and, but you could pick up last week's. In in Charing Cross Road for like next to nothing because the offices would presumably send their office boy with a part with with this week's billboard and they get they get you know whatever a couple of bottles yeah, sure. uh, from the shop and they would send it sell it on so you could buy a billboard a, a week, week later which is which I and I, you know it was like a, 
fantastic. You know, I loved all that stuff. So, and, and Record World too. Actually, Record World and Cashbox. Record World was the, the hippest of the three. At the one time, at one time they had thought it when when it was a when it was a, finally a, a hot hundred hit in the states in winter of '75. They had it at 18 with a bullet on all three trades, <laughs> all three trade papers, which I learnt later was probably put up job because, <laughs> yeah, because they because they all liked it so much because yeah, it was exactly. about them. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Wasn't 18 with a bullet sampled by hip hop artists? Um, I've had a lot. I've had quite a lot of stuff. So Olympic runners things, so right? Because it's sort of bare bones tracks, which lend themselves to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so and you know, so you find yourself one writer amongst about twelve because there are yes. the, there are the the the, D, the the rapper guy and Andy's four mates, and then there's like three or four samples, each of whom have two or three writers. So you're so it's like this list of writers. It's completely ridiculous. I don't know how the these things are administered anymore. Yeah, it must yeah. be murder, you know. But uh, yeah, I don't think Bullet. Uh, I think it's a good reason why Bullet hasn't been. Well, apart from the fact it's probably not suited anyway. But I won't it's in six anyone. eight. <laughs> it's in six eight. Yeah, and you know, so it's hard to get. It's hard to six eight doesn't work over six eight doesn't no, work over a rap, over, traps, over, yeah. over yeah. rapping. You know? no. Yeah, so, which leads us on to Mel Brooks <laughs> <laughs> and the Sugar Hill Gang. And the yeah, Sugar yeah, Hill yeah. Gang. <laughs> yes, because one of the, so we were featuring this review you wrote. Of the Sugar Hill, yeah, I know, which I didn't like, which you'd forgotten. I forgot about, and I think I'd already forgotten it by the time I worked with him two years later. But anyway, (laughs) I don't remember. You've still forgotten about it. I've still forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. But uh, well, the the Mel Brooks thing, we're talking, we're we're fast forwarding here about five years to eighty one. We are. It's a guy called Joe Lustig who was a larger than life expatriate New Yorker who lived in London and was active as a manager. Largely in sort of folk rock area, fair yes. that kind of people. Yeah, and I think he knew of me because I'd done some sessions to Richard and Linda Thompson, right? Who, who you managed? He was actually a school friend of Mel Brooks, um, and they <laughs> and he ran Mel's business in Europe, mm-hmm. and uh, so they were, they were they were you know they were big pals, and um, Mel had just done this movie called History of the World Part One, and uh, I think Joe thought he it was a bit he needed something contemporary to hook onto it. Right. Well, the movie was finished. Uh-huh. And so he persuaded Mel to the idea of, of a rap, you know, which was like the hot new thing, uh, <laughs> to, to, you know, to, to promote, to sort of like go along with the movie. And he, th- and he thought of me, I, you know, it was a bit of a long shot thinking of me in that respect, but anyway, he did. And uh, so he said, do you want me to give it a go? I said, of course, you know. So um, Mel was in town at the, at the Connaught Hotel, which was extremely upmarket. <laughs> it's where old Hollywood would stay, you know, it's a, where you'd expect to see Lauren Bacall or Douglas Fairbanks or somebody, oh, you, know, so. r- you know, very classy. <laughs> um, so I went to meet him there, you know, and um, just immediately struck it off great, you know. And we actually wrote the thing, wrote some lyrics uh, we, 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 in his hotel room there there and then, you know, sort of cobbled it together. Then I, I went to sort of work on the track. And when he came back, next time he came back to London, which was very soon afterwards, we did the record for Joe's label. It's good to be the king. Yeah, fantastic. Which, was, which is actually has turned out to have legs. Yeah, because um, it's a great thing to say. It's just been used. I'll go back to the story in a minute, but it's just been used on an ad. I mean, this is the sort of thing you just couldn't make up. Glamping in the south of France, <laughs> <laughs> upmarket camping, somewhere a thing called Yellow Village, and this is all French, you know. And they, uh, Good to the King was big in France because it started with the Marseille. Of course, yeah. And uh, it's been sampled by rap groups and everything. So it's a known thing, you know. So they used it, you know, like 
book your glamping thing and you'll be you'll, you'll be treated like a king. So, that's <laughs> brilliant. My sister a, runs, a, had a sort runs of video a video glamp site in, in and, uh, South you know, France. Yeah, yeah, right, you know. Anyway. At least it hasn't been used by Donald Trump as one of his camp- <laughs> campaign <laughs> <teams>. <laughs> Which you can't do anything about until it's happened. You know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we did that and it didn't do much in the States, but it was popular in France, mm. you know. did make a little noise in the States, and it was big favourite on WBLS. Right. Which was the, the yes. hot dance station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, where uh, they had uh, uh, Frankie uh, Crawford, Eighth exactly. Wonder of the World, all that, yeah, who yeah. I'd actually met when he was at WWRL. Right, in right. His, um, in his yachtsman's uniform and all that. Oh, you know, fantastic. He looked, like, he, looked a mix, he looked like a sort of, um, I don't know, sort of, Black David Niven or Did something. Did he ask you for a backhander? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, but, what, but what a voice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Is, you know, put more glide in your stride, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> put more dip in your hips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was, big on, it was big on BLS. Right. Sylvia Robinson. Yes. Nay, Sylvia Banderpool. Abs- of Mickey and Sylvia. Absolutely. Who at the time, at the time had, she and her husband, Joe, Joe Robinson, had left behind a trail of creditors at all platinum records. Absolutely. And it started um, Sugar, Sugar Hill. Hill. Yeah, yeah. Not to be confused with Sugar Hill, the bluegrass label right, in right. North Carolina. Not that we were confused. <laughs> no. People with Catholic taste <laughs> <laughs> might be confused. And I'm sure, that, I'm sure Party A had no idea the existence of Party B. <laughs> and vice versa. But anyway, and uh, she, she, um, she actually did her own version. It called It's Good to Be the Queen. She probably realised that it wasn't quite as good, but she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she she found out she found my phone number somewhere, uh-huh. and she phoned me out of the blue in London. Sylvia, what? You know, and uh, she said, "Hey, will you come over and let's let's get let's get together and work on something?" And of course, I said, "Okay." <laughs> so she sent me a sent me a, a ticket, and I went over. And on the literally on the plane going over, because it was all very quick, you know. On the plane going over, I, I sort of got an idea, just so I'd have something in my pocket when I got there, you know. I had an idea for a, a title and a hook, you know. Basically got some ideas together and on the plane, literally. You know, got to Newark. I was met by her chauffeur guy who, in a gold Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> Which you've demanded. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, you know, nothing less. Uh, it was a sort of wise-cracking chauffeur guy. I can't remember his name now, but he was great, you know. And um, brought, brought me to Joan Sylvie's house. Do you know who I mean by Bob Krasnow? Yes, yes. Uh, Blue Thumb Records. Blue Thumb and, uh, I can yeah. Tina Turner was on Blue, were on Blue Thumb in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. I can say this now because they're both no longer with us, so, you know. And, and I, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but it'll give you the idea, you know. So I get to the house, and uh, it did remind me of what Bob Krasnow said when he visited Argentina, bollock sound in, uh, you know. He said, uh, I didn't know you could spend a million dollars in Woolworths. 
So anyway, but you know, and um, and it's funny, you know, that because I because I in that review I say I say something about having just read it yesterday for the first time like ever. <laughs> um, uh, I say something about everything. The, the Robinsons do seem to have a bargain basement aura, and uh, that's the same thing, really. It's yes. slightly that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, Sugar Hill was a, was an amazing outfit. It was very self-contained. It's a bit like King Records used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, they had their own little pressing, everything. Yeah. You know, and they were in Englewood, New Jersey. Yeah. Crucially, not New York. Yes, because New York meant unions. Yes, and they didn't. It was all yeah. cash. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also... Um, musicians, I mean, there was, yeah. there was a classic thing. Musicians, like, hang around in the parking lot waiting for a session. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I march in here, march in there, you know, <laughs> this guy from nowhere. And uh, I've got... And she loved she, she loved the idea, you know. So we go into the studio, straight, like, the next day, virtually, you know. She puts me up in this motel in wherever it was, Tenorfly or somewhere. We, we go into the studio. This is with... Uh, Great the crack rhythm section. Yes, um, yeah. Skip McDonald, Doug Wimbish, yeah, fantastic. Keith LeBlanc, yeah, fantastic band. Uh, these tackhead that yeah. came one, over, came yes. over here and became one of the last great studio R&B rhythm sections. Bands, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. it was great. You know, they, they were fantastic, lovely guys. So I march in there, and uh, we do the track. At that time, Sugar Hill was it was very much underground. Yeah, maybe broken through with Rapper's Delight. Right. 79 that I mentioned in the yeah. other article. They were selling lots of records, but weren't really on the charts because mm-hmm. they were all, they went, they went sort of, um, you know, mainstream. And the way they would work, this is prior to machines, drum machines, mm-hmm. and, you know, digital anything. So they would do everything live, the full 12 inch length. Right. And it's only if they sold like some 300,000, some huge amount of records, mm-hmm. would they even edit it down to a seven inch. Right. So that's the way they worked. So we did this track. I was playing the Fender Rhodes, and we had a brief sort of call. I wrote out a brief chord chart, but I was like calling out the arrangement live, you know, on the track. <laughs> Say, right, bridge, <laughs> bass out, oof, you know. Well, it, was, it was just so exciting, man. Well, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, it was none of this like hunched over a computer saying, right, do this there and maybe sure. take that. You know, it was like, wow, spontaneous yeah, arrangement, yeah. boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, and that, I think that comes out on the record. So we did that, and, and only then, once the track was down, they were so happy with it that they thought they'd allocate it to the the top act, which was the Sugar Hill Gang. We then got the rap together for, or they did, or I can't remember what happened, but you know, for the verses, mm-hmm. the the the, the, um, the track was all there, and you know, I sang back up with a few great guys who were hanging around in, in the parking lot. <laughs> you know, they were all sounded like you know Donny Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, they were they were okay. They were great. They were really up for it. Lovely guys, you know. They were. I'm sure they would admit themselves they weren't the greatest rappers in the world, but no. they just had the biggest rap record. Yeah, in yeah, the world. exactly. And um, and they were up for it, you know. Yeah, yeah, record. I am the king of the rapping thing, but love is really my game. And when it comes to getting the finest chicks, I put all the other rappers to shame. The ladies scream when I'm on the scene. They love my T80Z. And when the party's over, they stand in line to go home with the Master G. So, two years later, Joe rings me up again. So, Mel's done another, another movie, you know, To Be or Not To Be. Right. Which was a remake of the 1942 movie with Jack Benny, Carol Lombard. Opinions differ whether it was a superior or inferior remake. But anyway, <laughs> um, and again, you know, he didn't have... He didn't have a, a, a thing. The idea had worked before, so we figured it would work again. And um, so, it, once more, I did the same process. Yeah, yeah. I did the uh, did the track. 
it became to be or not to be or the Hitler rap. And this time it was it was a hit in the, in the UK. And he actually, by this time, videos had, had happened. Uh-huh. And he went on to do this great video, which was shown on top of the pops, actually. You know. uh, so, you know, and, and all over the place on MTV and stuff. So we had a little bit of a hit there Fantastic. again. Fantastic. So that was, a, you know... My my explorations into the early world world of early rap. Does he even know himself, Mel? Whether he actually knows that he was the first white act to be in the American uh, white rap act, if you could call him that, that to be in the American R and B chart. Fantastic. Eat that Eminem. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> we know the real slim shady. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, we do have to ask you about Dexies. Yeah, Dexies. Um, and, I mean, I'm really interested in, you know, the backdrop of your story leading into Dexies Midnight Runners. But because of their whole the, the celebration of soul and the projected passion, this, like, idea of kind of white soul boys in Birmingham, of all places. How did you... When did you first become aware of Dexies? What was the story? I think um, Van Morrison had something to do with this because they... they Didn't they want Van as a producer originally for Searching for the Young Soul Rebels? Could be, buddy. I, I, know, I know Kevin was keen on Van. I, I've never heard that before. I've no idea. I just uh, had a phone call from Roger Ames, who at yeah, the time yeah. was, was running NRDMI, and he'd known of me. I mean, I hadn't really produced anything... I'd, I'd, done, I'd done a record in, I think it was 75, with uh, Mike McGear, Paul McGartney's yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. And they misspelled my name on the label. <laughs> <laughs> Winfield. Uh, Winfield. Woolworth Wolf, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'd done a couple of things for Transatlantic, called Out to Lunch, and, then, and, and one thing for Ace, a group called Red Beans and Rice. Right. But uh, nothing, you know, nothing of any name. Uh, yeah. But I suppose Roger must have heard something or other and uh, phoned me up to do go to Birmingham to see this band. And I, just, I mean, I, the people, um, it seems to have sort of mythical status but with people that they never had with me. It was just a job and I did it well and they were a good band and that's about the end of that. Yeah. Um, uh, I went and, you know, went and met them and they thought they seemed to be very driven, you know, and kind of a... <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one word. You know, and, uh, you know, not good, good horn sound and yeah. like, like the same kind of music as I did and uh, we're up for it, so... Great. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually did Gino yeah. at uh, John Congress's place in in southwest London, and then the the rest of the album, the, the subsequent album, Young Soul Rebels, was done up in Jimmy Norton. Right. So Gino yeah. was done in Mortlake. It was. You know the front. The um, at the beginning of Gino, there's a little expectant audience noise. Uh huh. Very much below that. If you listen. Yeah. 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 And yeah. The, that came from. I only thought of this because you just mentioned his name. That came from Van's album. Too late to stop now. The, uh, oh, wow. uh, it was the beginning of that when it, before anything happens. There's this little and uh, so you know so we got it off the vinyl. I just brought my copy in. That's <laughs> we just put. We're going to get a sue for that. Yeah, that's my audience. Let's hope he's in this podcast. Otherwise, there'll well, be a letter. No, no, no. You can't. You, you can't. You can't copyright applause. We did oh. check that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whose applause is it? Yeah, whose applause? Who's, Whose hands I mean, are those? Yeah. It was a number one. Who's record. coughing? Yeah. It was. It was a number one record in this country i still think it's a fantastic yeah i mean record. it was it was a i, I didn't have I, I recorded it and got organized it and got everybody sounding good and all that with the, also with the help of the great engineer chris burkett yeah who um I worked with a lot uh, subsequently but uh you know i didn't it wasn't 
most of the ideas were not mine. You know, it was all in place already. I just yeah, yeah. produced the track. I mean, Kenny Ronan was an, was an extraordinary figure at that time. I mean, he still is a rather extraordinary yeah. figure. You know, I have a sort of love-hate relationship with that music, but I was, I was, <laughs> I was sort of on board for the vision. I don't think I, I have either, actually. I mean, I think, I think there are things on that record like, there, there, my dear. Indifference. It's, it's, yeah. Not indifference, no, just... Yeah, just enthusiasm, yeah. but not fanaticism. I mean, I think the horn section that that you got on on that is is very very distinctive. It obviously refers well, to kind Kev- of stats. I, and I wouldn't things, take the credit for that, uh, Barney. I'd t- I'd, I'd, put, I'd give and, I'd yeah. give Kevin the credit for the concept of that, yeah, yeah. or the, or the guys themselves, because they wanted a sort of a maybe a more Jamaican type thing with the trombone up yeah. front, more so than more so than a sort of Memphis soul thing. Right, sure. okay, and that's probably what made it different. I don't think I, I didn't quite see this for a while, but I came round to it. No, it was yeah, more Rico and I was, I was, I was completely. Wesley. They were completely right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, more. Yeah, more. More the scatterlights yeah, than um, sure. Than didn't horns. they? Didn't Kevin confiscate the multi-tracks? To yeah, them? all that. Yeah, yeah. I, think <laughs> I know you feel you had to tell oh, those stories God. many times. I mean, <laughs> okay, we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> skip. We can, past. We can skip past. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's all been said and it's all true, so what can you do? <laughs> I, I think it was all worth it for, for There, There, My Dear, which I think is just a sort of titanic record. piece of music. I really do. Yeah. I might even and go and listen to it again. Then. You, see, you seem so enthusiastic. I'm going to listen to it again. <laughs> The thing is, I never listen to anything after it's right, okay, in after after No, 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 no. I mean, I was, you know, I was talking with, with the Everly said, Phil Everly says you never listen to that. You know, you've only no, listened to that records if, if it was played to him or they were. Uh, yeah, yeah. Know. And I, and because by the time you finish working on something, you've, like, you've heard it more times than any punter yeah. would ever hear. It. Absolutely. You know, so it's yeah. the absolute last yeah. thing you want to hear. Plus, you know, you, you finished it. Yeah. And that, that's one of the reasons I went out of, I kind of sidled away from, Sort of R and B dance music, that kind of thing, because you could never finish. Yeah, you know, you, it was all because there was always some, some some remix or something. You know, <laughs> you'd finish the thing, you'd take a lot of time putting it together, making it absolutely diamond sharp, perfect the way you wanted it, and the artist was happy. And then you and then, then some remix guy would come in and get paid more than you had <laughs> to spend a couple of hours sort of stomping all over it. You know? <laughs> and, uh, I just thought, no, sorry. Yeah, no. no. I, 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 I absolutely, I loved uh, your production of the Kane Gang. Closest oh, to yeah, heaven. Right. I, I, on the yeah. tube this morning. It's great. It's a, it's a fantastic record. Kane Gang, it's so underrated. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I, I like it too, and they were really nice guys. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. And your, your melodica solo on it. Which, <laughs> 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 even get, Peter's one of the, along with Augustus yeah. Pablo, one of the great. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should have yeah, yeah. yeah, Okay, right. yeah, that, yeah. That would be a good trivia thing, wouldn't it? Records of melodica solos. I can think of one. Um, there's a Four Tops record, not on Motown, that's got a melodica solo. Um, <laughs> You're already scraping the barrel here. <laughs> and, there's a, and there's a, you know. Didn't you yeah. also record a Go Go album with the Kane Gang that never came out, or some Go Go tracks? You're going to be play, playing me some stuff you've done with them, uh, which never saw the light of day. I don't I, think. I, I'm, I'm a bit hazy on this one. I don't. With there were, there were a few tracks which I did with them. And there were a few texts that they did not with me. You know, right. So from, uh, they were definitely sort of into that go-go thing at one time. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. Closest Thing to Heaven was such a fantastic, great song. sounded fabulous. should have been a huge hit. It was kind of a hit. Yeah. But it's funny, you don't hear it, do you? No. You know, it's not played on the Well, the, the Kane Gang's shows. band have got virtually no profile now whatsoever. No. I think you know. a lot of it is, is business. It's, 
just to know who's got the rights. Is there a kitchen? Kitchenware, kitchenware yeah. yeah. And that was London Records. Right. And I think that everything's changed ownership quite a lot. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, you know. sure. But certainly they haven't really been. There, yeah. was a, there, was a, there was a reissue, a sort of compilation thing quite a few years ago. But, um, but they certainly seem to be sort of under the, under the radar. Yeah, and anyway, great recipe. decide which artists you wanted to work with i would never i mean i've never hustled anything ever with any description uh I'm just not that way you know i find in fact people who do that are a bit of a turn off really aren't they yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know i would just maybe get a call they'd send a cassette or something you know yeah and um if i like music i go and meet the people and if that you know yeah. take it from you there. didn't feel the need to like Develop a kind of signature Pete Wingfield no. sound or anything. No, I don't think there is one. No, no, I really didn't. Because I'm a session guy, you know. Yeah. So we did all sorts of music and yeah. whatever. Yeah. Just, you know, in service of the song, really. Cool. Yeah. I, also, I saw you on stage with the Everlys. You were there with their first reunion gig at the Albert Hall. Yeah, I, I'd, um, I'd uh, get, again, neatly segueing from sessions, I'd, I'd done an album with Phil Everly yeah. solo, including that hit with Cliff, you know, um, She Means Nothing to Me, was it called? 82, produced by Stuart Coleman. Yeah. He got me in on it, so I've got him to thank for all this. The late Stuart, the Stuart, late mm. Stuart Coleman, yeah. sadly. The biggest, I mean, t- talking about the production, the biggest thing has been the Proclaimers. Yes. Oh, 500 miles. 500 miles. Is the, that's my biggest production by far. Absolutely. Yeah, they're you know, huge hits. It's, uh, you know, it's like the Scots National Anthem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just keeps on giving, man. Does it keep yeah, giving? Yeah, the Royalty Check. So, Ra- Ch- Craig and Charlie says, we're going on tour for you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you arrived here in a gold place? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. But they were that great. Craig and Charlie and Kenny McDonald, their manager, they're the only people who have phoned me up to blow me out. Really? Which I thought was great. Because that never that, happens. That's, that's, when I first met them, they were, they were, de- they were debating when they had Letter from America. They were, de- they were talked to Jerry Raff- Rafferty and myself, mm-hmm. and they ended up going with Jerry Rafferty. Right. And, and they called me to say that, you know. And that was such a gentleman. Yeah, it never happens. No. You always find that somebody you find that somebody's doing what you wanted, yeah. you know, by by a third party or once it's already happened. Yeah, yeah. People never blow you. Yeah. They just move on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And this is all not just in music and everything. And sure. uh, and that was such a nice thing to do. I've never yeah. forgotten that. You know. But that's, anyway, that's yeah, great. for five hundred miles it was one of those things where you when we did the track, it was just Perfect, you know. I, I, even now, I wouldn't change a thing. Right. It was just one of them, you, and we just sat back and listened. Like, this is this is something else. <laughs> you know, I mean, it very rarely happens. Yeah, sure. you, usually, things. Yeah, okay, it'll do. Let's move on. Yeah, you know. But this one, it was different. You know, fantastic. And, I thought, and it was just, and it was, it was such a good groove. A good had a good rhythm. Yeah. This is before they had a band, so I had Paul Robinson and Phil Crown on bass, Jerry Ma- uh, Donahue. Oh Jerry yes, Donahue, fantastic. Who, who's who's yeah. who's in bad way right now. Oh, is he? He's, has, he's, he's had a bad stroke and can't really do anything. Fantastic player. Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was and, and Charlie on acoustic, and I played a little Augie Myers type organ. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
Donahue because in the Everest, of course, you had who's that marvelous guitar? You're Pat, doing it. You're doing what I I'm said. Doing, exactly. You know the guy. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, what the guy? Yeah, you did. <laughs> the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing it, man. You know, this happens you know. already. Albert Lee. Yeah, yeah I'll be great. You, Albert Lee. So you and country, really hot country guitar players, have a sort of ongoing relationship. Well, Albert was. And it kind of it, the way 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 was Albert was Don's guy, right? The way with Don. That's it. Um, I didn't know him before, and I'd been doing the stuff with Phil, and he, you know, sort of rated me, so he, he recommended me. So yeah. When they came to do this reunion, based, which was like organised from London. Yeah. We came together and chose, but actually the those Albert Hall dates was it was Cliff Richards' rhythm section. Right. It was Graham, the late Graham Jarvis, a fantastic drummer mm-hmm. who, who went far too soon. Mark Griffith on bass and um, um, uh, is he doing it? <laughs> someone who's going to be very insulting. Martin Jenner, he would be, but unfortunately he's no longer with us right. as well. uh, on on guitar. Sorry, Martin, wherever you are, that was great, and uh, and then that went over great, and they uh, ended up probably going on the road and got me over to the states, and it was a whole different lineup apart from Phil Cran, the bass right. player, um, who I got over because I'd been working with him on Hot Chocolate. Uh huh. Um, Hot chocolate. I was. Started with a kiss, man. That's all me. That's nice. fantastic. Oh, I love that that's record. That's fantastic. That's just me. That's just me. That's, that's, that's Phil on bass, that's Phil Cranham. That's a great record. I'm on keyboards singing ah. back up with um, oh, Chris Cameron and no Errol, and that's it. None of the group. Huh, that's fantastic. Gosh. Mickey Most, that's somebody else we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what a great guy. The king, he was a real Epicurean, was Mickey Most. What yes. a great guy. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He never took himself seriously, and as a result, was incredibly successful. Yeah. Fantastic. You know. um, and anyway, anyway, go back to the episode. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, so I've been doing that. I've yeah. been doing the stuff with, with Phil, and uh, yeah, we uh, ended up you know, being a, a sort of touring act yeah. for uh, 18 years or so. Yeah. I, I seem to remember you telling me that. They didn't share the same planes, dressing rooms, hotels, yeah, this, anything. This was nothing new. This was already written in stone by the time I was, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, 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 uh, it was a genuine reunion and they, you know, there was a lot of love there. Oh, don't get me started. Brothers, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they're both gone now. But it, I mean, I ended up being particularly close to Phil and my wife Jane and his wife Patty. He was he was a friend for life and uh, miss him still yeah. miss him. Yeah, he was also. I was, if we ever if we get to talking about McCartney with with Mick Green, he, <laughs> he um, Mick was uh, Mick was big mates with Phil because they'd met on some British tour when Mick was playing with uh, Billy J Kramer. Oh really? And they bonded. I've never I've never known two guys. I, I only ever saw them laughing. They, they were just they would go they were walking Mick walking. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd just be like that, you know. <laughs> they bonded over chain smoking and right. humour, yeah. and of course, yeah. the, and of course, the chain smoking. That's the reason neither of them are here today. You know? yeah. I mean, I, I that that the show I saw, which was some way years after that first one, it was you know, you actually invited me to see, and right. uh, it was fantastic because there's something about that singing yeah. of those two voices, Absolutely, yeah. which the Beatles come directly out of. I've been watching that Get Back movie and you hear Lennon and McCartney sing together and it's absolutely out of the, the Everly Brothers. I mean, extraordinarily so. Uh, and it's such a great band. I mean, you, of course, and, and Albert Lee, who's guitar player, long adored. I mean, yeah, stuff yeah, with yeah. Emily Lou Harris. Yeah. I first saw him with Heads, Hands and Feet at the Albert Hall, you know, supporting mm-hmm. Captain sure, yeah. Beefheart at yeah. the Albert Hall. Yeah. <laughs> things, you know. It's great, great stuff. So, I mean... So you toured and toured and toured with toured them? Toured and toured and toured, yeah, all over, you know, not Britain and 
Britain and the States, but also other countries as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah in between doing everything else up until, I guess, 1990, maybe 2001, something like that. Right. And um, yeah, and then they sort of retired and, yeah. and, and came back briefly for a British tour. Last Everly gig was in Ipswich. <laughs> <laughs> the very last one. Right. The Gaumont. <laughs> Probably. Don't want your love. You mentioned Owen McCartney. We yeah. should briefly talk yeah. about working on Run Devil Run with Paul right, McCartney. Right, right. Five minutes there, just in 1990. Yeah, we... But he got me in on that, Paul himself, I think, pretty sure, along with Mick, you know. I'd known Mick just meeting him on Everly shows, um, but um, never worked with him before. He was great. What a great player. Lovely guy. Oh, great guy. But it's not a good idea to fly to L.A. with a chain smoker. Because he, you know, you couldn't a bit crazy, couldn't speak. This, this is pre Nicorette. This, this is a well, it's post post smoking ban on planes, you know. And he was going crazy by the time we got to the airport. <laughs> Poor bloke, you know. He, he was, you know, he made a beeline for one of those horrible glass cages oh. that they put the smokers in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, anyway, yeah, and so yeah, he. I think Paul was, you know, it was kind of. A, a sort of therapeutic exercise. Well, you wanted you wanted a thing with no pressure, do some rock and roll, you know. Mm. And and actually, Mick had been, yeah, Mick had previous with him because he'd done the previous thing like that. He'd done an album for Russia, for the Soviet Union in 1988 of rock and roll covers, and Mick oh. was on that. Mark uh-huh. McCartney had, yeah. It's called um, well, it's called something in Russian, which you can't. <laughs> back in the US, it's got style. a Russian title. <laughs> I think it is called something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Or back again in the or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Which had only come out in Russia, I think. You can, you know, yeah. Someone will find us out, not let us know. But no, quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, so and I think uh, Chris Thomas, the producer, brought in the two sort of rock guys, mm-hmm. with Dave Gilmore and Ian Pace. Um, and you know, he he just I remember Paul sort of got us together on the first morning and said, "Hey, right, this is the thing. You know, we're going to do this just like we used to do with the Beatles. Turn up in the morning, meet meet in the cafe, have a cup of tea and a fag." And um, you know, I'll play. I'll play a song for today. Uh, he said, except no fags. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the same apart from no fags. You know. That's what we did. You know, just took five days doing stuff. Right. And uh, yeah, it was great. Good. It was great. And uh, then he had me do various promotional things later on. Sure. Yeah. It was great. You know, it was nice, nice, nice little thing to have done. He's sure, sure. such a lovely guy. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was absolutely no. There's no trouble actually. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have, have you watched the whole get by? Get back no, I haven't. No, yeah, right. I'm marching through it at the moment. I haven't. I have to say, the um, there's a the 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 cabin club thing we did, um, which yes. was a video. You know, uh, the sound check was better than the gig because Paul was so up for it. He shot he he shot his voice during the afternoon. Right. He was doing it. He was going for it. You know, in the sound check. In the sound check. So and uh, yeah, think yeah, he was just yeah. so into it. You know, he's lovely. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, listen, go- going back to your uh, Let It Rock days, just for yeah, one, yeah. one moment, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we've included uh, this piece you wrote in Let It Rock uh, called Soul Foundation's 20 Essential Soul yeah, Records. I, I, just, I just wanted to quote the opening of it. Oh, Lord, I'm going to get shot down for this. I mean, who am I? PW, a mere mortal of 25, irrevocably bound to one age's conditioning, Whatever one set of prejudices, what terrible to sentence. sit in judgment <laughs> on the wide expanse 
expanse of sight. Well, that's then, pretentious well, twaddle. <laughs> if, if that's I think it, maybe, you it was ironic. It. I was being ironically yeah. pretentious. Yeah. You <laughs> then basically you give the idea to give the lay reader a sort of introduction. Yeah, yeah. Actually, to, I, to I read this. Music. I mean, I had no idea I'd written this, and I'm surprised I had the patience to put it together. To be honest, and but one of the things I would have now. What did you say? Because it's all like greatest hits. I mean, rather boring. You said you had you 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 regret having to leave out so many records uh-huh. and you say Lee Dorsey Louisiana's wow. funkiest car body repairman yeah, man. has had his budget best of and his brilliant Yes We Can album sets sliced from the lists you know I, I played that yesterday knowing that we were going to talk about it yeah. it is great oh, it's, it's so, so cut good, down it? and everything a lot of acoustic guitar is interesting and uh, yeah that was, that was sort of late period Lee Dorsey wasn't yeah, it? yeah well so as a result we've dug out uh, this week's audio interview um, which Mark is going to tell us all about yeah it's, it's uh, dear old Cliff White the late lamented Cliff White who I'm sure Pete you're very well aware of us an yeah. R&B writer yeah. summer 1980 because uh, we'll, we'll get on to that. He does talk about touring The Clash. Um, it's recorded actually at Sea Saint Studios in New Orleans, which would have been great, except the sound quality is terrible because it's one of those dodgy cassettes. One side, the last three minutes on side two are fabulous. A broadcast quality. A broadcast quality, yes. and the rest of it's like mud. But um, he's just had a motorbike crash. Uh, I imagine he managed to fix his own motorbike, given the fact Probably. that he was into his auto mechanics. Not his body. Talks, <laughs> talks about yeah, yeah, his early hits... Um, Talks about his love of repairing automobiles, which I, I love. One of the things I love about Lee Dorsey is that he, well, if, if the music business had died, he'd have been perfectly yeah, happy. Absolutely, he had this casual attitude. It came out on stage. I also, he also gave me the impression he'd be, he'd rather be underneath the car than behind yeah, the mic. You know, that's uh, almost uh, true. Absol- absolutely, uh, he, he talks about touring Europe in the, back in the sixties and how much he enjoyed it yeah, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. His early love of the likes of T Bone Walker, One Only Harris, and he talks. Quite extensively about recording with Alan Toussaint. Shall we listen to the first clip? Sometimes, I, you know, Alan is pretty stern when it comes to recording, you know, so, so when it's almost sound like if we're going to record Monday, you know, uh, I'll probably start Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> so it could be fresh, you know, on my mind and everything. Because, uh, you know, he wants it just so, and if it's not that way, you're going to have to do it over again anyway, so you may as well try to get ready for it. Plus, uh, you know, he wants you to put something in it. It's, it's a little job trying to, you know, portray someone else's feelings, you know. But for some reason, he and I always uh, got along fine there, you know. It certainly sounds like it on the records. Oh, yeah, yeah I don't think I could really be successful with anybody else, uh, it was just one of those lucky things, us getting together, you know, because uh, he seems to know more about what I can do than I do. <laughs> and uh, so far, it's worked out fine. I love that. I mean... They're, they're, what a great combination, Alan Toussaint and Lee Dorsey were. Yeah. Um, Apparently, they were. They've spent a lot of time together outside of the studio, just even, hanging out, friends, very yeah. fond yeah. of each other. I think. Um, yeah. it, it, it's absolutely terrific. I mean, uh, you know, like you, Pete, all of us in this room actually love New Orleans R and B. You mm-hmm. know, but it's something very. I even did a song about it. Sorry, you? Scratchy Forty Five <laughs> tribute to him. You ever heard that? No. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Pete. <laughs> I just love that. There's something about the way that he talks about. Two Saint there, and those records I think are really particular. Uh, they've got them even yeah. by New Orleans R and B 
standards. They've got a very particular sound and sort of... Yeah, and they don't really date because they were so sort of quirky in the first uh, place. Ab- yes. Absolutely. He talks about, well, listen to the next clip now, um, touring with The Clash, which is <laughs> <laughs> marvellously unlikely. We just finished a tour over here not too long ago, about three, four months, I guess now, with Clash. You know, you know the Clash group over there? That's right. And uh, they're, they're hard rock, you know, but then they wanted me to be on the tour with them anyway. It worked out fine. <laughs> I thought it was great, you know. I, I said, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> Boy, because they, they cut up, you know. And here I am, you know, with my little voice. I said, well, what a <laughs> How did the audience take to you? Beautiful, though? beautiful. I'm telling you, it was wonderful. I really, I really, I really enjoyed it. And, I, and the people enjoyed it. I guess they were trying to figure out what was happening to you. <laughs> but then, you know, when I when I start singing and they start remembering, well, then I got my, my share of the ovation, too. Yeah. I know we can make it. I know darn well we can work it out. I mean, it's, which is a very good point, because uh, the audience in 1980, they may be kind of like young punks, but they will remember Holy Cow and songs like that, because right, they would have been around, you yeah. know, they're, they're sort of... Um, um, he talks about... Well, the, I don't know, that, that was... Uh, I mean, you're talking about 65, 66, yeah, that was 15... I think older punks. Older, yeah, older punks, yeah, 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 older. Not, yeah but they would have been... Grey long in the tooth Yeah, punks. but they would have been here on <laughs> an oldest stations and so on and so Maybe. forth, you know... But, but, what old stage? Where any? What are you talking about? It's really nice to hear that he had a good experience yeah, no, with uh, the Clash because actually you might grand, expect Grandmaster Flash got yeah, right, exactly. up, you know, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, I they, imagine... they probably made him feel at home, yeah, because they were fans well, and all yeah. that. Yeah. Well, he's just so lovable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. in this interview, I mean, he's, so he's one of those people who just finds everything amusing. He's just laughing. I only saw him live once, and that was actually. I think my band, the Naz, this is 66, were, were, the, were the bottom of the bill, and he was top of the bill at some club. He was being backed by a group called the League of Gentlemen. Um, yes. Who, who I think were probably named after the movie, I would imagine. Yeah. And certainly not the TV show, it was much later. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he was, he was great. He, was, he, he had that vibe, you know, the same vibes on the record. I, I remember he was, he was just... He didn't need to do much to kind of exude... Uh, I, I never saw every little lie, thing but... he does can be funky. There we go. That's right. Yeah. He's such a distinctive voice, isn't it? It is. And it, 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 it's yeah, always well, got can, that kind of bio you, Yeah, you can tell who it is. Country quality. He's got that, that yeah. accidental thing. You just know who it is from yeah. one word. I was saying to Barney yesterday that Johnny Adams is the only other singer who really reminds me at all of Lee Dorsey. They're both more or less the same part of the world, so maybe there's some sort of regional aspect of New Orleans... Aspect, Louisiana aspect to it, but true. He talks about the Yes We Can and Night People albums. Night People being, I think, it's pretty much his last album. Yeah, close, um, close yes. was it seventy eight? Seven, no, it was. It was before then. But anyway, it, it was. It was a fairly late one. Yeah. Uh, we'll play a clip at the end Maybe of the podcast see. where he talks about the importance of having a decent road band and how difficult it is playing with pickup bands. Really nice interview. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just you know. Did- Lovely sounding guy. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you know about the Brinsley Schwartz thing with him? No, no. Well, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I read this somewhere. Group Brinsley Schwartz were in the states, and then they went to see Lee Dorsey in his, at his at his body shop, you know. And he greeted them. He said they, they were having a drink. He said, I, I, "Sorry, man, I, I've got to, I, I can drink bourbon. I've got to put it in milk." <laughs> 
because oh. he had a stomach ulcer. You know? Right. And then and it sort of stuck with them. And when they, when Brinsley Schwartz got back, he met he saw the um, Doctor Feelgood guys. You know, uh, Lee Brillo. Pub, and, Lee Brillo. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. where the title Milk and Milk Alcohol. And alcohol. <laughs> 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 that's fantastic. But I, I, I mean, I just read that somewhere. I yeah. Maybe wrong. That's a nice footnote. <laughs> Anyway, that's, so that, that, that's it. It's a good listen to slightly, slightly yeah. murky quality. Yeah. Interesting, towards the end, he mentions um, wanting to do a country album. Yes. And, and there are tracks on Spotify f- that either came out as an album or were for, for that album. He does some... Um, is there anything does, on Spotify that didn't come out? There are things on Spotify that didn't, didn't come out. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Yes We Can album, which is, of course, so brilliant, on Spotify is not not the original album it's it's a it's rather peculiar thing yeah. yeah but he but he does there's a version of am i that easy to forget and the freddie fender oh yeah yeah that, some of that stuff come, the next some of that stuff has come out has on come charlie out. and it's beautiful it's a double album it's lovely yeah. I mean, he called, makes a great it's called, country it's called am i that easy to forget yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like i was saying to barney yesterday that my best bit of record buying ever with my student grant and uh, i think september 75 i bought yes we can sneak and sally through the alley by robert palmer uh, Rejuvenation by the Meters, Southern Nights by <laughs> yeah, the Tuesday. It's a New Orleans feast. Uh, uh, but I also bought Mr. Magic by Grover Washington, okay, Dean Tini, which out, slightly yeah. lets the side down. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty good, sort of five albums with yeah, his student pretty grant. Pretty good. Student grant, millennials, just <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. hear that and weep. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, with Jenny we, uh, you know, we just put the student grant in the bank and lived off the band. <laughs> I mean, given we're sort of talking about country music, uh, mm. I, I just wanted to note the passing of Joe Simon, um, who was roughly from the same part of the world and and was very much one, one of the sort of the great country soul singers. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think That's he true. died about three weeks ago. But this is your area because you know, it, 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 it is my part of my area. Though I never, I was never able to interview Joe Simon. I think I got him on the phone in Chicago, and uh, but we just we just never managed to hook up for an interview but I mean his records on Soundstage 7 really were probably like kind of peak country soul I think it's such yeah. a beautiful voice yeah absolutely I mean a forgotten name yeah. these days yeah really. no, I, I mean, don't know why really he's never that big here or anywhere else in Europe but, but, but I mean yeah unjustly his style really I would say is the opposite is the sort of polar opposite of what's around today with mm. the all the ultra millers were, you know, he just sang the song in that yeah. fairly straight, in that great, with that great timbre, you know, yeah. and uh, that was it. You know, yeah. you know, without sort it's, of. It's very nice hearing singers who actually sing the song. It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we have, we've, we've added a piece by Roger St. Pierre, also no longer with us, from NME, yeah. July 73. The headline was Country Joe, which I was rather liked. <laughs> and Joe says, you know, it's not such a strange thing really that I like country because I grew up listening to Nashville sounds on the radio and anyway country gospel R&B and soul are all close together and he talks about the album that that was going to come out I think maybe later that year which was called Simon Country, Simon country pure yeah. pure country yeah. songs but using the same musicians that played on his other record uh, absolutely and of course I mean the last thing I wanted to, to remind people is it was Joe who sang Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross at Otis, Otis Redding's funeral, funeral. Which yeah, I'm sure you knew that. Yeah, I, I only recently yeah. found that out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they were big friends, apparently. Yeah. They were big friends. So, I mean, he, the way off. he said, the way he says, and there's a, there's a video that's worth looking up on YouTube um, that I think it's sort of put out by his own uh, organization um, from 2016 where yeah. he talks about that. Yeah, I think he, he saw the, 
he gave the impression that he and Otis were the only straight guys and, and with all the sort of uh, drugs and everything else going around in the business and he they bonded over that. That's, <laughs> that's the vibe that he gave to you. Yeah, it's yeah. an interesting watch, actually. Yeah, it is. Because, yeah, you know, he got, he, he's a yeah. preacher. He's a bishop now. And, yeah. And it sort of slightly has that, the way born-again people tend to be a bit of a pain in the neck. There goes our born-again listeners. <laughs> no, no, both, both of them, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> rather rewriting history, right. you know, like yeah. saying, I hated rhythm and blues. Yeah. So why did you do it all those years? You know? Yeah, no. Uh, and, cool. Yeah, it's great. And, cool. and also uh, referring to himself in the third person, which is that, ne- never a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> never a good luck. <laughs> to love you Didn't you know it, babe Didn't you know it Why couldn't you Be content With the love I gave also wanted to say goodbye to Janice Long, who was yeah. a beloved DJ and um, I'm very, very she, my band were three times to sessions for Janice Long including the one before we even signed which actually helped us Get signed, so I have a personal, lot. something of a personal debt. To yeah, and I mean, by all accounts, just lovely. Everybody adored her. So mm. we featured this um, interview that Neil Tennant uh, did with her in January 1985, fabulous pre Pet Shop Boys, um, or what? Well, Pet Shop Boys were already in motion at that point, but he was still what features editor at Smash It. So he says Janice Long, you see, is a real person rather than a media personality. Off the air, she's just as talkative cheerful and enthusiastic about bands and the issues that concern her listeners as she is on her evening radio show. She says to Neil at the end, radio is a male domain because people have thought that it is and so haven't actually done anything about it. And she, but she says, but now you can join the BBC, get married and have a baby and come back to it. You don't have to stay at home. It was also a myth that only blokes were interested in music. And then most poignantly, she says at the end, I don't believe in age. It's like racism or sexism. I think if you're still in touch with what's going on, fair enough. It doesn't matter how old you are. But having said that, I don't think I'll be sitting here at 65 playing the new one by the Toss Pot. <laughs> or whoever it is. And of course, she died age 66. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, mm. but really a lovely person. Yeah, yeah. Important, important DJ. So, uh, mm. bye, Janice. And at this point, I'm going to hand over to you, Mark. New last couple of weeks in the library. Last week, a joint interview, Roy Carr and the Enemy in 69, interviewing George Harrison primarily, but Eric Clapton as well. Eric's on the Delaney and Bonnie tour at the time. It's a kind of big Eric and George loving, which of course ended up with George's wife leaving George for Eric, but other stuff and so on and so forth. And it's just, you know, Eric Clapton, you know, we were worn out by the end of that cream thing, tired of the image, tired of the music, tired of touring which uh, one can understand. 1971, Long Goddard interviewing the band's Richard Manuel. That had been when the bands were in town to play the Royal Albert Hall. Correct, definitely. Which has been re-released released on the... On the And it's sensational. The BBC recorded it on four-track, I think. Richard Williams turned me on. So uh, he's, he's one of the greatest gigs me too. He ever saw. Me on yeah. Too. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 and it's one of the, it's a great live album. It's absolutely it's up there with Rock of Ages, you know. Uh, which is the, also a fantastic Which is a fantastic album, record. Yeah. But it's set, and it's, this is recorded about 6 months before Rock of Ages, June 71. Mm. 
And it's absolutely sen- sensational. With Alan Toussaint. With, right, with, with, there we with, go. With, with Rock of Ages. It all goes round. Anyway, so Richard Mandel's very, very good. He says, um, uh, many people have tried to do another Woodstock, but it's like trying to celebrate Christmas in July, which is a like, reasonable point. I love this. Studio men tend to cut out or turn down the foot tapping and natural noises that go on. We want them left in. And that's very much particularly about... Oh, yeah. Uh, John Simon's approach to producing in the, 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 pink and all that, yeah. yeah. Moving quite away forward, January 82, Mitchell Kern reviewing Prince's controversy, controversy, contro- contro- controversy, I always end up controversy. I think controversy, it's controversy in America. That's what he sings. That's right, controversy. controversy. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. call it so controversy. We, <laughs> controversy. <laughs> 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 Prince's controversy. <laughs> <laughs> High Fidelity magazine, January the 82, and he said he's capable of irresistible black pop tunes like the Motown-influenced Private Joy and the adolescently titled Jack You Off. <laughs> this, last song on the L- this last song on the LP is a hip-shaking romp that describes Prince's inexhaustible sexual generosity. He satisfies his partner in cars, movie theatres, restaurants, and almost parenthetically, bed, before expecting reciprocation. The moral majority may not be amused, but the performance is a brazen combination of R&B urgency, rockabilly impudence, rockabilly, Hendrix, rockabilly impudence. There, there, there is a, a slightly rockabilly-ish track on it. Is it the one well, about uh, Ronnie uh, Reagan? Hold on a second. We're still talking We're about Jack You Off. Hendrix guitar and the confidence of a kid who thinks he can get away with anything. I mean, it's actually a really good. It's a really good review of, uh, of the album. And a not terribly good Prince album, in my view. In your view. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Right, moving on to not one of the not one of the best. No, this not week on Dirty Mind. Um, Maureen Cleveland, we were so pleased to get Maureen Cleave on board. But she died recently, yeah, but no, uh, yeah. uh, uh, we got her on board before she sadly also went into um, what, Alzheimer's, basically. Didn't she? Yes. yes, her interview Kathy Kirby from Evening Star in 1963, and did, I, lo- I like with her as well. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Tell yeah. us about your gig with Kathy Kirby. It's one of these, um, you know, multi-artist, sort of one song each type Yeah, yeah. 60s, so way back, I can't remember. She, she just did Secret Love. She was great. Although, you know, very... <laughs> you know, because it starts off with that... Her version of Secret Love starts off with a sort of banshee wail, you know. And she could still do that. She <laughs> sort of did it off... As far as I remember, she sort of did that off stage. <laughs> She she comes out great because she, she's one of these artists who got lost when the Beatles emerged. I mean, she, the mm. Beatles' first tour was supporting her, I think, I'm pretty sure. One of their very early tours, they were supporting Kathy Kirby. Mm. She says, mine's the type of face that's got to be fresh and plumpish, the bubbly type of face. I once wore a very low dress on television and it looked ugh, like I was in a bathtub. Nowadays, I try not to show cleavage. <laughs> Wasn't she married to... Amber, you know, the, the 1930s dance. Oh, because she toured with him. She Am- was in his Ambrose. band. She was in his band. I think she I think, was in his I band. I think there were a couple, you know, like, there was a generation between yeah. them, but I think, yeah. Because um, in this interview, she talks about how she, she started off as the, the feature uh, singer Amber. in his band before going solo. So that may well, yeah, that may well be true. Yeah. Barn is very pleased about this. Pete Johnson, who we got on board very recently, I got this slightly irate email from Pete saying, Why, am I, why isn't my writing in Rock's Back Pages? He wrote for the LA Times from like 66 to 69 and covered really fantastic stuff. His interview with Van Dyke Parks from 1967, which we sort of regard as 
gold dust. And he says, I think that's what the death knell for swing band, the big band, the booze thinking, the wet head syndrome, the high ritualisation of the whole swing band thing, that jazz thing. It just drew its own noose because its attitude could, could not meet the exigences of public awareness, whatever that is. <laughs> what? <laughs> there are no interviews like Van Dyke Park's uh, interviews. Just run that by me again. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll give you a print and I love this is great it's, it's time for a repudiation of the bourgeois sexual overtones of rock and roll <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's, it's just marvellous I love, I love Van Dyke Parks. I, mean, I, I, that, I don't like his music that much I love him, watching him interviewed hearing he's got this fantastic southern accent very camp despite, southern drawl despite yeah. living in LA for yeah. like yeah, yeah. 70 he's years he's still got he's the still... Mississippi accent yeah. bizarre it's absolutely... bizarre <laughs> oh this is great Robin Katz Record Mirror 1976 interviewing Wild Cherry she says Wild Cherry win this year's Pete Wingfield Award for fooling a lot of people about their ethnic origins there you go <laughs> <laughs> well you know when I had the afro going on people used to uh, more than once people asked which island which island I was from <laughs> So I said, well, that would be the GB. (laughs) (laughs) We've made that the poor quote on the the home page. It just couldn't resist. Lovely bit of serendipity. I I, I just just love that. But you know what? With uh, with, um, It sort of played badly that because I hadn't realised, I was so sort of idealistic and everything, I hadn't realised quite how sort of um, rigidly people thought about those things, particularly black Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, they just didn't want to buy a record by a white person. When, when, the, when they were going to put out my album, the, the American side wanted to dump the artwork. Right. And put, they, wanted, they wanted to have, it's called Breakfast Special, they wanted to have an obviously black arm reaching up into a supermarket shelf for, I don't know, grits or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and I basically said, no way, it's my boat race, it goes on there. Yeah, know. absolutely. And, um, but it didn't serve me well, because it, it died like a stone. Yeah, I mean, it's a real problem. The average, average I could have, could have had something to do with the music on it. Well, as you know, we well, like... We, well, but we the average theory. white band were one of the few white acts that yeah. genuinely cut through. They did, the they absolutely they did, yeah. That, that really well, it was disco that, that blurred the line. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're to, with me, we're talking about mid, so before, just before disco, really. And... Uh, uh, th- that was the point when, particularly with the station like BLS I was talking about earlier, they played stuff from Europe, all sorts, yeah, yeah. and nobody really knew, knew where everything... Well, a lot everything, of the Olympic like, Runners tracks were, were <laughs> big jams, big hits well, for nobody the black knew, community, but nobody no one knew, knew you were bridge, white. Because no. we were on London records yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, And on a vocal. Because we were signed to London records in New York. Right. So that's why we were on London here. London, sort of uh-huh. London American. But uh, Mike had signed, them to, signed us to, with a guy called Walt McGuire to London and New York, so that we had nothing to do with Decker's London office. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> last thing... But that's uh, quite true, yeah. Shelby Lynn, this re- Tom Cox's oh. review of I'm Shelby Lynn, Guardian, September 99, and this is an album we both love. I, do, do, you know, do you know that album? No, uh, uh, which, uh, Sh- Shelby Lynn. I know Shelby Lynn. I am Shelby Lynn. It's her yeah, fun, I think I got that, yeah. First big one. Tom Cox says, long after the ephemeral output of Reba, Mindy and Trisha has been consigned to the eternal redneck car boot sail in the sky, yeah. I am Shelby Lynn should endure as a rich, timeless chronicle of a troubled yet single-minded southern belle who knows she rocks. Now, I love this record. I mean, it, I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. And she sort of disappeared, didn't she? Yeah. What happened to Shelby Lynn? Uh, well, it may have had some. Her commercial decline may have some, had something to do with the fact that she came out as, as a lesbian. But she still does pop up with a record from time right. to time. Because I thought 
But it was a great. I thought she. Man, we saw it at Shepherd's Bush Empire. I didn't love it. You, I think you enjoyed it rather more than me. I actually can't remember that show, but I... Like snarling, but... Um, you do like to snarl I do gigs. like to snarl at gigs. <laughs> and walk out. It's quite hard to hear the, the gig yeah. over the sound of Pringles right. snarling. snarling. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Could somebody turn down the snarling, please? Mm. Yeah, it was a Mick Gardner's review of James Chanson and the Contortions at the venue, and I sat next to him, and he basically wrote up my snarling <laughs> in his review in Record Mirror. I've got to find that. So, yeah, I was going to say, at least you can do his publishing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah. that's my lot. Just Bruni. Any? I'd like to start with something a little bit different, which is a David Toop review of a Taku Sugimoto album, live album <laughs> called Italia. Good pronunciation. <laughs> and he's a he's a Japanese kind of free improvised guitarist. Right. The review begins. Just as you're about to go on stage to perform your improvisation for damp leaves, aerated confetti and contrabass bed socks at the Tunnel Milan, you realise that the entire audience has rediscovered the lost art of conversation. What to do? The options are limited. You can stalk out to the microphone, deliver a tight-ass lecture on the sanctity of your art and demand total hush. You can sing a bunch of songs they all love, though Atomic Kitten's greatest hits played on damp leaves may lack the necessary lift that the occasion demands. <laughs> Alternatively, wrench the PA knobs round to 11, why not, and blast them with an hour of unbroken consciousness-shredding noise, etc., etc. But it's just a great, great review, yeah. and, and he says, what I'm really wondering about how he does it is how he sustains this kind of poise over lengthy periods of time, because it's talking about playing really, really, really quietly in the hope that your whispers will spread stealthily through the room like fairy dust. How he holds an audience in a state of suspended expectation, drawing them into his micro-world of partial gestures and exploratory calm without <laughs> unleashing a battery of coughing and walkouts. There's a surface tension, like liquid quivering above the rim of a cup. And it's just, it's just yeah. a wonderful piece of writing. I love to teach. It's I just, mean, you know, yeah. written with a total understanding of what free improvised music is yeah, about. Yeah. And it's just, just great. I love it when, when, when David's guest on the podcast... Uh, very early on, wasn't he? And, yeah, yeah, and uh, we, he's into all, all this really out there stuff. And you know, as I am now myself, we asked him at the end, "What what do you listen to at home?" He said, "Seventies soul." I thought that was just, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you listen to? Not, not atomic kit, non-damp leaves. Non-damp That toe tapper. <laughs> Next up, Dave Simpson reviews Wolf Alice at Newcastle University. On the face of it, the former fitness trainers and ice cream salespeople from London could hardly be less fashionable if they sat around smoking dope and listening to Supertramp. Wolf Alice makes grunge and shoegaze, genres that both had their heyday before the band members were born, but bring youthful energy and concerns, friendships, fears, loneliness, goth, to a similarly new audience. I, I quite like Wolf Alice. They're quite a fun kind of indie-ish band that have been steadily increasing in popularity, and I first saw them with about five other people at a tiny, tiny venue in Oxford. And now uh, they're and huge! The, and now they're huge! <laughs> but no, they were really good even then. They had a real energy that lots of people that play to five people in the community centre don't have oh. so so they're, they're pretty cool good lastly after the australian music prize sampa the great wants to set her story straight jenny valentish in the sydney morning herald and she's a rapper who i really really rate she's just fantastic the culture of rap is liberation music she says and with that came an attitude but as humans we have different facets of ourselves sometimes you want to talk about your heart sometimes you want to talk about your spirit sometimes you want to talk about your soul sometimes you want to cry i thought if i brought in my femininity to my music it would be considered weak but it's actually proven to be the opposite. And that's great because her rap is distinctively female. She's got a song called F-E-M-A-L-E. -E. It's got real power and real poise, and I just I think she's great, so I wanted to mention that. Good stuff. Brilliant. 
more women gonna come and applaud. Got my back when I do applaud. I'm an F-E-M-A-L-E from the ghetto. Yeah, she got a brain instead of this. She work five now, still got time for the metro. Dancing out of way and forget about the echoes of the ghetto. Got your echoes, so she never leave the ghetto. Gotta tell them kids and my cousin. Time she gonna let go, she a queen. And you know she never leave. Barney, got I think in the interest of time, this may be the longest episode we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. Yeah. My apologies. No, 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 no. It's been it's absolutely been, delightful. It's been absolutely delightful. It really it's been splendid. Um, you know, if it wasn't for time descriptions, I would like to sit around and yak all day with you. I really would. It, because it's, it was it's very easily well, done. Well, you can always make it a two-show. Make it yeah. part one and two. Make it a two-show. <laughs> <laughs> used to love a record. Yeah. 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 Wasn't that when you used to love a record, part one? Yeah. It was always good. What, part two on the B side? Yeah, yeah. It had to be good, you know. Okay. That's how yeah. we'll do this podcast. <laughs> no, no, well, not this. I'm not. Yeah, but who gets the credit? <laughs> who gets the credit? Uh, yeah, what's great about James Brown albums is that the album have both parts one and part two together as a single. But oh, cut. do they? The, on, one, on one or two. Cold I, sweat. Now I've never heard cold sweat. It always fades down and fades up again. Yeah, that's that's infuriating. Someone should dig out the tapes because everybody got roasted in the Universal Fire. That's or another person who died very recently to to. Um, to the mourn is Pee Wee Ellis. Pee Wee Ellis, yeah, yeah. 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 Wrote yeah. a couple wrote, of months ago. Wrote yeah. Cold Sweat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> I think it was great. Um, uh, who's the marvellous drummers? One of the marvellous drummers, Stubblefield, Clyde Stubblefield. Clyde saying, Stubblefield. Saying that the, the, the great ignored member of that band is Jimmy Nolan. That no one, everyone talks about the James Brown band. No one talks about Jimmy Nolan's yeah. guitar player. And he says, Jimmy Nolan doing that ding a ding a ding a ding He says, that's the invention of funk. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, guitar yeah. part alone is where funk started because instantly the whole band went bah, and he's dum. been doing that I mean uh, if you listen to some of his solo records on King yeah. Jimmy Nolan fantastic and he does a bit of that jang, yeah. jang and that was his thing you know it's just extraordinary yeah. guitar player no one th- everyone talks about everyone like else T-Bone right Walker meets I don't know funk yeah. but I mean the ability to play just two notes all night on a yeah, certain yeah, yeah, song yeah. and just yes. be absolutely in the pocket I think he just had he not just joined then it was somebody else before that, I think. I, it, was very, it was very early Nolan. Very, yeah, probably. In fact, there was a great ch- a bunch of changes in James Brown Band because Stubblefield and the other guy had just joined as well, pretty much. Well, the it was a revolving door for lots I of know, reasons. I know, no, oh, anyway. I remember the first time I met Pee-wee, you know, I said, when were you with, exactly when, when were you with, with James Brown? And he said, you know, he said, like, I, I can't remember exactly, but he said, like, from the 4th of April, such and such, to the 5th. He knew exactly <laughs> when, you know. <laughs> We've got to go. We've got, We've got to, to go. go. We've got to let Pete go. Um, the last clip is going to be uh, Lee talking about his road bands versus um, pickup pick bands. bands. And it's in broadcast quality. And it's in broadcast bit. quality. So, so, so it's worth <laughs> Stay <worth> tuned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, who's our next guest? Do we know? Or is that still up in the air? Our next guest, it's a really good question, I think it's Michael Simmons, the LA writer, former right. editor of National Lampoon. And then I think it's Kate Mossman after that. That'll be fun. So lots of good guests coming up this year. Please do tune in. Thanks for joining us today. And Pete, thanks for being here. Thanks yeah. for coming in to Hammersmith. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you Cheers. so much. And uh, we will all say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Get out my last woman. You don't love me no more. I'm dying of death a minute night. Try to fool with you know little bands like in Carolina or Florida, and then you turn around and go all the way to New York. So you got different musicians. I mean, there's, yeah, they're musicians, but they're not listening to New York to what they're listening to in Carolina or, or, or you know or Florida. 
uh, they may be on the jazz kick up there, you know, doing blues jazzy, you know. And down there, they want country and western style. I mean, you know, so it's too hard, you know. It's easier to, it's more expensive, I mean, it's expensive. But then uh, I think in the long run, you know, it pays because it saves you anyway, you know. I think so. Because you have to work too hard. Ooh, it's hard enough trying to deliver. Let's don't worry about who's playing what behind you. <laughs> Get out my life, woman. You don't love me no more. That was Lee Dorsey in conversation with Cliff White in 1980, concluding this week's Rocks Back Pages podcast. Many thanks to special guest Pete Wingfield. The hosts were Barney Hoskins and Mark Pringle, and it was co-hosted and produced by Jasper Murison Bowie. The Rocks Back Pages podcast is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. You can find thousands of articles, as well as hundreds of full-length audio interviews at rocksbackpages.com. Get out my life, woman. Fantastic. Great. Super. Great. Excellent. That's a wrap. I forgot Love to mention uh, the uh, yeah, th- little things one doesn't know. The um, committed, I was really gratified when it was mentioned. You know Joanne Harris? The yes. Chocolate. Writer, yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Her, her follow-up to that, no, was it before it? No, before it, Blackberry Wine book mentions, you know, it's talking about the summer of 75, something about... Um, Oh, yeah, no, sort of sitting in the field, listening to Pete Wingfield singing your 18 with a I've been featured in a fiction novel before. That's right. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good, that's really that's good. A good one to tick off. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that. that's really good.